Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. It's been a while since we've done one of these. The Anthony Joshua versus Andrew Ruiz 2 live post show. I'm your host, as always, Carlos Toro, lead boxing reporter for Fightful.com. Uh, we're going to get into the in, into the thick of things in just a second. Just kind of wait until more people show up in the live stream for those of you watching uh, for the first time ever, this is the Fightful MMA, uh, Fightful Boxing Podcast on the Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel. We do these live podcasts where, right after you know some of the big fights uh, out there throughout the year. We did it for Canelo Alvarez. We did it. Well, yeah, we did it for Canelo Alvarez versus Sergey Kovalev. Sort of. We we didn't do a live post show, but we did do a post show after that. We had the you know the post show after the first Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz fight. Didn't do one for Deontay Wilder fight because I was traveling in Puerto, uh, to Puerto Rico, so I wasn't able to watch uh, watch the fight. Uh, in a place where I can also do a live podcast. But nonetheless, we're here. Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz 2 in Saudi Arabia on the zone. Thank goodness we did not had uh, a 90 to 2 hour wait. Kind of like what we did with the Canelo Alvarez Sergey Kovalev fight. But uh, I've already got a couple like here in the live chat. Uh, Hawkeye KJ1 said, What up, Carlos? Hey, we're here. Uh, yeah, we're here. What, what's up? Thanks so much for coming here. Sam3 says, I was here when Carlos had blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, that was an adventure when, when for those of you who have been longtime viewers of the Fightful Boxing Podcast, may remember when I bleached my hair or, or I dyed my hair uh, blonde for Puerto Rico in the World, Be uh, the World Baseball Classic. But yeah. It was a long time ago. Thanks so much for all of you who have been longtime viewers of the show and still coming into these live post shows uh, to this day, almost in 2020. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, obviously, Anthony Joshua versus Andrew Reese, it was going to be a big, big fight. And yeah, let's get down to it. Andrew Reese versus Anthony Joshua, too. This fight was, you know, 
I said this multiple times. I said it before the first fight, uh, uh, you know, after the first fight between Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua. I said it then, uh, and I said it, and I'll say it now. The game plan for Anthony Joshua, it was there. It was laid out on the floor. It was very easy. It was a very simple game plan. Joshua, all he needed to do was use his length, use his jab, kind of stick and move, keep moving back, avoid Andy Ruiz from hitting the body, and it we we that's pretty much what we saw. You know, I could you know we could go down the nitty gritty, cover around by round, but really, I, if you saw one round of this Andy Ruiz Anthony Joshua rematch, you seen all twelve. It was literally just Anthony Joshua. Using the left jab, stick and move, move back, hit Andy Ruiz pretty hard with the right hand on, on occasion, and Andy Ruiz struggling mightily to you know close the distance, attack on the inside. He didn't have uh, you know didn't have nearly as much luck uh, landing big punches, big hooks uh, on Joshua's head as he did in the first fight, and that was really the key. That was the whole key to the whole fight: whether or not Andy Ruiz can close the distance, and whether and if Anthony Joshua can just stick and move. For 12 rounds, that was it. It would, you know, there's, you know, you can dissect it any which way, but it really is as simple as can Joshua jab for 12 rounds and can Andy Ruiz take advantage of those times, those little precious moments that he had in the fight where he could have, where Joshua didn't really jab or decided to trade, uh, trade punches with Andy Ruiz. And that was, again, that was the big question. And I personally, just going to say it out now. On the record, I've said it in a, another podcast. I thought Andrew Ruiz was going to beat Anthony Joshua. Not just beat. I thought he was going to stop Anthony, Anthony Joshua. And the reason why I thought so was, uh, you know, looking at Anthony Joshua, seeing how his past fights, seeing how he operates, even though the game plan for Anthony Joshua was simple, just use the jab, and that's it, nothing else, nothing too fancy, you don't need to knock Andy Ruiz out, you can win this fight on the scorecards comfortably. But I wasn't entirely convinced that Anthony Joshua would be able to just stick to that game plan for 12 rounds, because there have been moments in the past where we saw Joshua, you know, kind of take an unnecessary risk, and he'll trade with certain fighters. We saw we kind of saw that in the Alexander Povetkin fight uh, last year, where Joshua really was kind of in control, but there were moments where Joshua decided to kind of trade with Alexander Povetkin and make the fight, you know, a close distance, a close quarters fight, and Povetkin did land a few good shots on Anthony Joshua. And look, let's be honest, Anthony Joshua doesn't have the the, the, the strongest chin in the world. He's been dropped in the past. He's been dropped by Anthony Ruiz. He's been hurt in the past. He's, he was sent to the, he was knocked down to the canvas by an old man, Vladimir Klitschko. So he doesn't have a granite chin as maybe some of those other heavyweight fighters in the division half, but one thing he does certainly got is the ability and the heart to certainly come back and eventually win a fight, and, and I do think that there was something to be said about the first fight, where Anthony Joshua, after he dropped Andy Ruiz in that third round, Anthony, Andy Ruiz came back up, he was a little composed, he wasn't panicking, but Anthony Joshua, whether it be, you know whether it was you know trying to send the Madison Square Garden cr uh, crowd happy with a knockout, or he just got anxious all of a sudden, he kind of got desperate and just you know decided to attack and 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 fight Andy Ruiz at close distance, and that really played into Andy Ruiz's hands. 
which eventually led to the 3-4 knockdowns that Andrew scored on Anthony Joshua back in June. So my, my whole thing was, will Joshua be at a point where even though he may be winning the fight, is he really going to be happy cruising to a score uh, to a decision win on the on the judges scorecards and i wasn't entirely convinced that he would do that i thought there was going to be a point where joshua was going to decide all right i really need to get a knockdown i really need to make the statement i have to knock out Reef just like he stopped me back in june but i'll give anthony joshua all the credit in the world he did exactly what he needed to do he needed to just stick and move and jab his way because he's, he's way too long, he's way too tall. And if he just did that, all Andrews didn't have an answer. He couldn't find a way to attack Anthony, Anthony Joshua up close because there was no space, there was no moment in the fight where Andrew Ruiz could just do that. And it really is, you know, it, it, was, it was just as simple as that. Kind of going into the live chat for just a quick second. Uh, the Amazon said, do you, do you think that Andy Ruiz didn't look like himself in the first fight? He was so timid today. He didn't try to attack at all and didn't throw with as much power. Uh, it's uh, Heido Galvez says, the, uh, Carlos, the way AJ fought Andy Ruiz, uh, would he fight someone like an Usyk? Uh, I will get into the... the uh, remind me about that, the whole Usyk question. Because that really is an interesting question to kind of dissect what Anthony Joshua's future looks like. But... Um, you know, kind of going back to the way Ender Ruiz looks look today compared to how he looked in the first fight. I mean, obviously, everybody's going to point out, yeah, I, you know, the fact that Ender Ruiz came into the weigh-ins yesterday and he came in at a whopping 283.7 pounds. I believe that might be the second heaviest uh, a fighter's ever weighed in in, like, modern heavyweight title history. I believe that is the way. I could be wrong, but just off the top of my head, I believe that is the uh, the second heaviest in history. And a lot of people were very concerned about that. A lot of people had questions about Andrew Ruiz's commitment and hunger coming into this fight because, you know, when, when you're chasing the title versus when you have the titles, it's a completely different mindset that a fighter has, whether it's you know, on purpose, by design, or just the way it is, it's instinctual. The way Andrews, I thought the weight wasn't going to play that big of a factor because Andrews came in fully clothed with, with some sombrero, and I thought, and he came in 283 pounds, and everybody kind of got scared of that number. And I thought that that was, you know, if he really kind of took off his clothes, if he took off the sombrero, he was going to be much closer to the 268 pounds that he was targeting and I thought that you know even with that there was a little there was some concern the fact that maybe he didn't take this fight as seriously as in the first or at least from a keeping himself physically fit and physically ready standpoint you know there was a plan so the from the Ruiz side the original plan all the way back in the summer late summer was for Andrew Ruiz to come to the fight at, I believe, 250, 255 pounds, which would be 10 to 13, uh, 13 to 15 pounds or whatever it is, uh, pounds less than the first fight. He came in at 268 the first time around, and they want and they want Andrew Ruiz to be lighter. Then later, midway for camp, and this is what Manny Robles told me in the media in a media call back on Thursday, 
they said, you know, we, that was the original plan, but then we decided 268 maybe where he operates best. And then came the weigh-ins, and he came looking at 283, and then I, everyone was concerned. And I get it, I get it. Even though he was fully clothed, there was some there was something to be said about Andy Ruiz's weight and commitment levels heading into the fight. Do I think that that was the the big significant factor into Joshua um, Joshua winning or Ruiz looking the way he did? No, you know it really all came down to Joshua committing himself to a simple game plan. That was it. That was really the that was really the. Uh, the, the way this fight was going to go, it wasn't, you know, John, Ruiz could have been in the best physical shape of his life, but it wasn't going to do anything because he's, because he's way too short, he's way too, his arms aren't long enough to, uh, you know, to train with Joshua at long distance, and Joshua, you know, I'll give him all the credit in the world, like I said, he did what he needed to do, it wasn't pretty, a lot of people will call this fight a boring fight, I had a I had a friend that was like only it's almost like Mayweather levels of bad not not entirely Mayweather levels of, of boring but it was getting into that point and I thought you know yes it was not you know I thought that if Joshua was going to trade with Andrew Ruiz I thought Ruiz was gonna beat him and that would make for a far more exciting fight but the way I thought Joshua could win this fight it was never gonna lend itself to being a smart fight it was kind of similar to. Kind of going back to Sergey Kovalev versus Elidor Storm Avros. The first fight was pretty exciting back in August 2018. You saw, you know, Kovalev drop Alvarez uh, in the middle of the fight. Then Alvarez came back and they both had a a big, a big fifth, sixth round. And Atlantic City was entirely was on his feet. They were really excited. And Alvarez pulled off the upset and he beat Sergey Kovalev. Then came the second fight and it was a very similar fight to this fight. Kovalev, re, you know, reinvigorated himself, went back to bases, used the jab. The fight was not as exciting, nowhere near as exciting as the first one, but it was the right type of fight that Sergei Kovalev needed to win. And it was one of those fights where being the stronger, faster puncher may not necessarily be what wins you the fight, it's being the smarter fighter. And that's what Anthony Joshua was. So it really, so it was really as simple as that. Let me see. Uh, Carlos, the way AJ fought Andy Ruiz. Oh yeah, that's the further question for later. Now that AJ has won the belt, is AJ Kern going to protect him from a Fury or Wilder? You know, uh, that's okay. There's really not. I wouldn't say protect him, but you know, there is something to be said about the fact that they, we still were were not able to get a Joshua versus Wilder fight. Made. I don't. I, I've never really considered Joshua versus Fury a possibility, and that's really mainly because you have Eddie Hearn, who is, uh, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua's promoter, and then you have Frank Warren, who is Tyson Fury's British promoter, and those two are almost always at each other's throats. And that's why when Demetrius Andrade and Bill Joe Saunders, they when they were in the buildup of their eventually canceled fight last year in Boston, that was such a big story because you never see. You know Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren working together on a big fight, and in in this case, I just don't see it happening. There there is a reason why you never see those types of uh, those types of fights happen because they, those two promoters really don't like each other and never do business with one another. Another. It took a Saunders versus Andre where the WBO essentially have to force uh, that fight to happen for Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren to play nice. So it's really. Um, it's really just a, a simple matter of that. 
It's in six months for a rematch so early. I mean, Charles vs. Rematch has been a year. That is one other question. Manny Robles told me, you know, over the phone earlier this week that he was actually very surprised that the rematch took six months to happen. I thought that he thought that the way Joshua lost and the way, you know, the weight of the world was on Joshua's shoulders and he failed and he got embarrassed at Madison Square Garden. He thought, the you know, the one route he could and maybe to some at the time should have taken was the was maybe take a tune-up bout, get your confidence back and ready, or rest up for a little while longer instead of going for the immediate rematch. But, you know, but I'll give Joshua all the credit, you know, a lot of credit because he did do, he, he did figure out what he needed to do and what he did wrong in that first fight and he corrected it all. I thought Joshua could not have boxed more brilliantly, could not have boxed better than he did maybe throughout his entire career. He didn't get the knockout, but that didn't matter. That was not the whole point of the story. Maybe if, you know, against a like, like someone like a Dominic Brazil or a Charles Martin where, you know, get a knockout win is what you should expect from Joshua. This one, I don't expect, I didn't expect Joshua to knock Andy Ruiz out. Even, even if I did predict it, that Joshua would knock out Andy Ruiz. Joshua certainly has the power to knock down and even knock out Andrew Ruiz, but the whole question about knocking Andrew Ruiz out, that's never been something that Joshua should have focused on, and it really should be on being the better boxer. And he was the better boxer on this night, and I think that with his, si with his size, his physical attributes, which is unbelievable, his, you know, boxing acumen, let's be honest, Let's not, you know, Joshua's not someone who will just go for the KO power. He's not, you know, some guy with brute force and that's it. Guy won an Olympic gold medal in the amateur. So he knows how to box. It was just a matter of, you know, in, in the first fight, Ruiz got, you know, I didn't want to say it was a lucky punch because I don't think lucky punches really do exist, at least at that, sta at that stage in the pro game. But Joshua got hit with a punch to the side of his head, behind the ears, where that's not something you can recover from in a minute or two or even a round or two. That's something that's going to stay with you for a long time throughout the fight. And Ruiz took advantage and he and he stopped him. So I do think that maybe that was that fight should have been. Uh, you know, I thought Ruiz won that fight fair and square, the first one. And I thought Anthony Joshua won that fight fair and square. So I think six months. I I would I like the fact that it that only took them six months to get to this point and not twelve, not eighteen, not twenty four months to get to this point. That, you know, Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua recognize, listen, this massive upset for, you know, in the sport of boxing kind of was revitalized for a little bit because of the shock value that we got. And they struck while the iron is on, which is, uh, you know, what a lot more than can be said for a lot of other fights that, you know, are taking way too long to take. I mean, look at Fury versus Wilder. That fight... Well, you know, that rematch was there. It should have happened this past May. And no, instead they thought, well, let's give Fury a couple more fights in the in the United States. You know, let's build his U.S. profile. Let's send him to WWE for, for a little bit and make the rematch against Deontay Wilder that much bigger. Does it really feel like the rematch, you know, has as much steam as it did right after the first one? And when they're entertaining the fight again, you know, in from this past May, and it never happened, I'd argue no. I, I'd argue that the rematch has lost a little bit of steam that it could have kept had the rematch just taken place six months later. And the, you know, I thought the steam and the excitement of this rematch 
it was still there for the most part because they didn't take 12, 18 months to happen. So now we're kind of focused a little bit more on the on the future of Anthony Joshua because it's very interesting what the uh, what the future holds for him. So let's see, someone asked on the live chat here on YouTube, what happens to Trevor Bryant? Isn't he the mandatory? So let's kind of break it down with Anthony Joshua and uh, Anthony Joshua in his future. So he has three belts, the WBA, the WBO, and the IBF. So kind of going in order, because some some people may not know this, but when a boxing champion has more than one title from the four major sanctioning bodies, we have the WBA, we have WBA, WBO, IBF, and WBC. When the, when the champion holds more than one of those belts, there is kind of like an internal rotation system that that is in place that will give every organization a chance to have their respective mandatory challenger challenge for the title. And so the way the the kind of like the rotation system, it kind of that's kind of implemented right now. It's the IBF mandatory challenger. Kubra Pulev, who has been the mandatory challenger for God knows how long, I believe since last year, if I'm not mistaken. So right now, so Kubra Pulev has been the mandatory challenger for 14 months now, now going into 20, uh, 2020 and still no title shot uh, set in stone. So it's kind of that, that's Kubra Pulev first. Then you have the WBO and the mandatory is Alexander Usyk. Usyk became the mandatory challenger when he vacated his, his undisputed cruiserweight titles and used a special ruling in the WBO guidelines where if you are a WBO champion, you met certain criteria and you're a good enough champion, your resume speaks for itself, especially during your title reign, you are eligible to become the mandatory challenger for the next champion and the next weight class up or down. So you could have gone from to light heavyweight, you could have gone to heavyweight and be the number one contender for the WBO title right then and there. And he has done that and he is the mandatory challenger for the WBO title that Joshua has. And then now you're going to move on to the WBA. And the WBA, and you, someone mentioned Trevor Bryan, he is the interim WBA champion. But he's not the next guy in line if you were to go from for WBA mandatory challengers. Because you have also Mamoum Char, in, uh, who is the regular or the secondary heavyweight champion for the WBA. But the way the thing is, is set up right now is that the plan is... Or at least the plan was supposed to be Char versus Trevor Bryan, secondary champion against interim title holder. But that fight, I don't know what the hell is going on with it. I, you know, some it was reported back all the way like in May that that fight was gonna be made, and the and the winner could potentially become the mandatory challenger to Anthony Joshua or the, whoever holds the WBA title. But that fight hasn't been made yet. No one knows what is up with that title. They reported that the fight uh, terms were agreed upon, and that's it. And no one's heard about uh, heard about the whole thing since then. And the amazing thing is, and I will, and here's the thing: the WBA they will not enforce a mandatory challenger, not when they have three guys where they can hold, when they can, you know, charge sanction and fees 
for their titles. They can just do that. They can do that wherever. They keep saying, well, we're going to we're gonna reduce the amount of WBA world titles we have to just one per division. And for a while, it kind of looked like they were trending, uh, you know, trending into that direction, and then it's completely abandoned, and it's a complete mess. You know, when it comes to WBA and mandatory challengers, I don't pay any attention to that, and really no one should, because here's the problem. You have guys like, you know, you have guys like Trevor Bryan and Mamuchar who maybe if they really, really flex their flex their muscle, they could have you know tell the WBA, hey, we want a shot at the, the actual WBA champion, but they're not. The WBA is not going to do any of that stuff. And what's amazing is that Char has held the secondary title since 2017, and he has yet to defend the title once. Man, uh, Trevor Bryan has held the title since August of last year. He has not defended the title once. So you have two guys who have held the title for well over a year. One of them holding it for a for well, actually, yeah, yeah, for for almost for a little more than two years. Not a single title defense. Not a single fight. And WBA hasn't done anything about it. They have not even commented about enforcing a deadline to have them just fight anyone. And it's not going to happen. Because that's the WBA and they stinks. So really when we're kind of talking about the mandatory title situation, focus under the IBF and focus under the WBO. I don't even rem- I don't even consider the WBA into the mandatory challenger plans for Anthony Joshua in the freezer. Not at all. Not when the WBA can just keep racking up the sanctioning fees. It's uh, one SSS as Carlos, isn't it common once all the titles are unified, don't they vacate and go up like Crawford and Usyk? Isn't it for, for expense sanctioning fees? Well, in the case of Crawford and Usyk, it was because of the WBO ruling that, that I mentioned earlier, whereas if you're a WBO, you can petition to the company, that uh, to the organization, that you, are, that you should be considered something called a super champion for the WBO, which is not the same as a WBA champion, which is just an, an excuse to create another title. The WBO Super Champion is what you can. Oh, it's an honor given to you that allows you to move up to the next weight class and become the mandatory challenger. That's exactly what Crawford did. That's exactly what Usyk did, and that's kind of more or less what Canelo Alvarez with the WBO light heavyweight title could do. It's not some stone, but it's something he could do. Just to kind of give you an example, like Canelo Alvarez can just vacate the WBO title. Uh, light heavyweight and just say, I want to become the mandatory challenger for the WBO super middleweight title. And he could very well do that and and WBO would just grant him and we then we could potentially have that fight happen. So really it's just so really it's it's kind of touch and go. It's you know unified champions. It it's a little tricky because when you say unified champions, some say, you know, do you you know the holder of all four belts, which is undisputed champion, or just unified, which is hold two or three of any combination of the four major uh, titles. So, uh, it's really going to be is um, it's just going to be a matter of what happens next. But I do believe that Kurapul of the IBF mandatory challenger is going to be next for Anthony Joshua. Uh, Bill Blass uh, asked on the chat. Is there going to be a third fight, or is Joshua moving on to the Wilder Fury winner? And I don't think the Wilder. I don't think he's, they're going to go for the Wilder Fury winner. The fight between the two of them has not been. You know, the fight between the two of them hasn't happened yet. And Joshua and Eddie Hearn, they're kind of tired, just constantly uh, calling them out, and you know nothing's happening. At least that's what they say. I'm saying that's what's happening, but that's what they say. We keep calling them out, and none, they're not budging, so just out of our hands. But 
So it's just gonna. So it is what it is. You know, Joshua's gonna cast his mandatory challengers, and if you do want to keep, if you do want a an undisputed heavyweight champion, unfortunately, it's gonna have to wait until twenty twenty one because John because Joshua has mandatory challengers, and if he decides to skip any of them, he will either vacate one of the belts or 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 he or he'll be stripped. And that's really, you know, and it's kind of a shame that, like, we're kind of so fixated on the organization belts to crown the Undisputed Champion. But that's the way it is. That's the way boxing is in 2019. It's, it's not a good, it's not a perfect system. To some, it's not even a good system. But it is the system that we have in place. And it will remain being that system until we see a, a wide reformation, uh, you know, in among all the sanctioning bodies, and I don't think that something's going to happen anytime soon. All the organizations they have their own agenda, and they have their own you know criteria and their own guidelines to follow. And uniting all four of them, or just getting rid of all of them, and just having one single body ruling the sport, I don't think it's going to happen. It's way too global. There's way too many entities to just round up into one little nest and and just pretend that everything's going to be all right. Let's see. Why doesn't Wilder? Versa Fury 2 for the ring. Uh, I, I believe you're asking why that fight isn't going to... Why Wilder versus Fury 2 isn't going to be for the ring magazine belt. They... I, actually, I don't know. I, I, it may very well be for the ring. I don't remember. I, I believe Douglas Fisher or, or whoever uh, whoever is in the ring magazine belt committee. I believe they said... Don't quote me on this, but I think they did say... It's gonna be for the titles. In the past, they said, you know, when immediately after Tyson Fury was stripped of the ring title, they just said it's gonna remain vacant until we get Joshua versus Wilder. But then came the first fight between Wilder and Fury, and I believe said the rematch may or may not be for the ring. But I think that a while back they did say that it might be for the ring magazine belt. Don't quote me on this, but it might be possible. At the very least, we're gonna get the WBC title, which. You know, which is still pretty significant stakes as far as I'm concerned. Uh, let's see. We've seen people win the bell, uh, the ring magazine belt with no other belt in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really depends on what entity you follow. Because here's the thing. In the U.S., ring magazine belt doesn't really hold that much meaning. But you go to, you go to the U.K., ring magazine belt actually still holds some significance. And I've seen fighters talk about... You know, they're not just saying, like, I want to win the WBO title. I don't want to win the WBA title. I want to win the ring magazine belt. And to some, it, it really all depends on who you're asking about the ring magazine belt. Because to some, they don't even consider a legitimate world title. To some, they do consider a legitimate world title. It's just a matter of preference uh, where in the world you're asking about it and, you know, what the situation is in place. But right now... You know, Marine Magazine belt isn't really all that needed for the heavyweight division to, you know, figure out who is the best heavyweight champion. We can kind of figure out who that is. It's either Josh, it's Joshua and the Wilder vs. Fury 2 winner. Those are the two top heavyweights. So, I'm kind of, now, before I forget, yeah, there was someone who asked about how Joshua would fare against Alexander Usyk. And I believe the question was, would, would the Joshua that we saw today be able to do the same and win against Alexander Usyk. If he has this same, the same Joshua that we saw today, I'm not sure he would beat Usyk. He would certainly struggle a lot more 
uh, he would certainly struggle a lot more against uh, against Usyk because I do think Usyk is a smart enough of a fighter and a mobile enough of a fighter uh, to be able to find a way to neutralize Joshua's uh, length and reach advantage far quicker than Ruiz did in the ninth and 10th round when he landed a couple of good right hands but that's really all he did he didn't really do anything else uh, aside from you know towards the end of the ninth and 10th round or at least I guess 8th and ninth round or around those few rounds but I think Usyk would maybe find a way to even hurt Anthony Joshua much more convincingly than he did in the first fight uh, you know than Ruiz hurt Joshua in the first fight because Ruiz hurt Joshua with you know one single big right hand and he was just unable to and Joshua was unable to recover for the rest of the fight but I think Usyk first of all I, I think it would take a while if those two fought I think it would take a while before Usyk really got into the rhythm he is known to be a slow start a slow methodical starter because he doesn't take time to, he, he doesn't go at it immediately and attack uh, at full throttle. He likes to take his first few rounds, analyze his opponents, see what's up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And Usyk, his ring IQ is unbelievable, is arguably the best in boxing right now, that he can take the first couple of rounds and beat, and beat Anthony Joshua. I don't know if he would knock him out, because Usyk has a lot of power, but he doesn't have, like, killer Joshua Wilder levels of power. He doesn't have that. But he certainly is, is, is strong enough to hurt drop and, and even knock Anthony Joshua down as we, we've seen Joshua get knocked down in the past and I think I, I would put Usyk's power maybe just a tad above Vladimir Klitschko at, when he fought Anthony Joshua the first time so he could drop him I, I certainly would be a really good fight and I really would love to see that fight down the road I just don't know if you know it just depends on what's going to happen with the title situations that I mentioned uh, earlier it says Carlos I don't trust boxing judges like you know, in the uh, John Ryder Callum Smith fight, John Ryder got fried, wasn't even a split score. Um, you know, just I guess my real quick two thoughts uh, on that fight. Yeah, I, I thought John Ryder won that fight. I thought Callum Smith did not do enough. I thought John Ryder made the fight very, very difficult. He attacked uh, surprisingly well on the inside, and I, I had John Ryder winning that fight, 115-113. So it's really, it's really all a matter of who the fighters are, where the fight is taking place and who the judges are. It really is a matter, uh, simple matter of fact. And if you were to put that fight, Joshua vs. Usyk in the UK, well, and that probably would take in the UK. I don't know where else we would put it. You know, you can put it in the US, but uh, I'm not sure if it would, you know, be as big an event in the US as it would in in the UK. But Joshua would definitely have an edge in that fight if the fight were going to the scorecards. You know, there is something to be said about fighters on their home turf getting the nod in their you know, in the respective countries, and we've seen enough, uh, enough screwy scorecards in the UK this year to kind of think, to kind of think that, you know, you can't confidently say 
Anthony Joshua, uh, Alexander Usyk would be Joshua on the scorecards. Let's see. Is Callum Smith going to get a shot at David Benavidez? They're a good opponent for Canelo since they have the green Canelo three three division champion. Yeah, you know, Callum Smith would be a good you know. Um, so Callum Smith, the thing about Callum Smith is that you know he wants to fight David Benavides, and they did potentially the WBC to make that fight happen, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. Maybe not even in twenty twenty because David Benavides has to get through with mandatory challenger Afni Yildirim. First, then David Benavides will be allowed to make a voluntary title defense against anyone ranked in the top 15 of the WBC or even against any of the other champions. And then the WBC will order Callum Smith versus David Benavides. But that's not going to happen maybe until late 2020, early 2021 at the earliest. Uh, Callum Smith looks like he needs to go to 175. He is really big. Yeah, yeah, you know. I wouldn't mind Callum Smith at 175. Guy is massive. Guy is tall. I don't know how he's able to make weight. And from looks of it, makes weight very comfortably. So it's uh, it's very interesting to seeing Callum Smith fight. I thought, you know, heading to the John Ryder fight, he was the best heavy, uh, light, um, not light heavy, super middleweight in the world. Now, I just don't think that it's, you know, super middleweight is such a deep division right now. I just don't know. If Callum Smith, I can really confidently say, especially after the loss, um, after the fight against John Ryder, that he would win. Uh, do you guys have any other questions uh, for me to answer? Just any topics you want me to bring up for the remainder of the podcast? Let me know. Uh, you can put it out on our live chat uh, right below where I am if you're watching on YouTube. And kind of going real quick through the for the main card of the Anthony Joshua and the Ruiz rematch. Because there's a couple of things I that are interest uh, things that I want to point out. So opening off, it's Mahamad Rasul Majidov, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, beating Tom Little. Uh, stoppage second round. Thought this was a very, uh, a very, very easy, I thought it was going to be a very, a very easy fight for, for Majidov. You know, a guy, tremendous amateur pedigree, matchroom boxing, scooped him up right as he turned pro. And he is a guy then maybe down the road could potentially be someone that could be a real player in the heavyweight division. I'm not sure I'm convinced of that right yet because Tom Little's not really a guy that you can put someone in. And after you beating Tom Little, you can confidently say, oh yeah, this guy's going places. So there is still... Uh, um, sorry. There's still a lot for Majidov um, to do before I can really say he's going to be someone that's going to be a top 10, top 5 fighter for years to come. But... I like he's on his way there. Uh, you know, I like uh, I like Majidov. You know, he's gonna be a real good prospect. I hate wait to watch out for for the next couple of years. Uh, are you gonna break down Charlo versus Hogan? Uh, I, I can talk I can talk real quick about that fight at the end, but uh, I'd say you maybe expect a podcast next week. Uh, kind of giving my thoughts, my post-fight thoughts on Charlo versus Hogan. That's gonna be a pretty uh, interesting fight. I have Charlo winning that fight, but I'll talk about. Uh, a little more about that later in the show. Uh, Philip Hergovich versus Eric Molina. Hergovich is, you know, one of the heavyweight division's fastest rising prospects. I like him a lot. Stops Eric Molina in the third round. So Molina had this weird thing where he kind of kept going down and putting his head down, and like Hergovich was gonna land those punches. It kind of borderline illegal, but not really. The you know he dro- I thought he dropped. 
Eric Molina a couple of times in the first couple of rounds, and the referee didn't didn't think it was a knockdown. He thought he either put them down or it was a slip, and I, I didn't think that it was the case. So I don't know. The referee was very weird for that fight. Uh, Herkovich beats Eric Molina. I thought, you know, Molina's, you know, that's good name. He's not a top 10. He's not a top 15, not even a top 20 guy in the heavyweight division. But it's the first guy with a name on Hergovich's resume. He's not a, you know, he he's not one of these like 500, uh, you know, 500 record guys or guys uh, who are way past their primer or anything like that that Hergovich can just easily uh, take out. He's not a Gregory Corbin who is just, just not good to begin with. And I thought, you know, Hergovich is a guy that's going to look at the, you know, heavyweight division. He could make some noise. I don't think not, you know, he's not going to be a real contender next year. But maybe early 2021, then you might see Hergovich be a real solid fighter down the road. Let's see. Is Ryoto Murata ever going to be promoted to super champion? I don't believe Canelo's next fight is going to be at 160. It depends. It depends on what the WBA is feeling that day, but... I agree. I don't think Canelo's fighting at 160 next. I uh, next, I do think that the drop off from 175 to 160 is it's way too much for Canelo to do from one fight to another. I think he'll fight at 168 next, but I think that the WBA is going to be fine with him being the super champion at middleweight for for a while and not necessarily have to defend the title. The WBA is in, not in any hurry to enforce any mandatory challengers for Canelo as WBA. Uh, middleweight champion. Uh, if Canelo fought Callum Smith, is the height going to uh, height difference going to be the same like John Trevor Ruiz? Not really, because Canelo is a. I think Canelo Alvarez is a better fighter than Andy Ruiz, and I think Canelo Alvarez is a guy who is mobile and strong enough to force his way up into the inside. Let's remember, we saw that fight, Canelo versus Rocky Fielding, and Canelo was able to neutralize the the height uh, the height disadvantage like that. He did the same for Sergey Kovalev. It took uh, against Sergey Kovalev a little while longer, but he eventually was able to do that. So I think Canelo would have far better, uh, a far easier time neutralizing Cal Smith's length than Ruiz did against Anthony Joshua tonight. Uh, Ivan Price beats uh, Sweaty Mohammed TKO round three. The commentary was very weird. The, the, the zone commentary was very weird. They were really singing Ivan Price's praises throughout the whole night, and... And throughout the whole fight, and you know, Price is a nice prospect, but I just don't see, I just don't see what's so special out that you know commentary is making him up to be this next guy. They're mentioning Lomachenko's name, uh, and in the Price fight, I don't know why they have to do do something like that. And he, the guy's a prospect, and no one's ever, no one's saying he's a world champion in the making. So I don't know why that fight was was made. So. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe Matchroom Boxing sees something in him that I'm not seeing, but I I just don't see it. Dillian White, uh, White beats Marius Vag by unanimous decision. God, what do I say about this fight? First of all, this was the worst Dillian White fight I've ever seen since I started covering boxing in mid-2016. This is the worst Dillian White I've seen. Now, to be fair... White kind of took this fight at last minute, and you can tell he was nowhere near in fighting shape. He looked flabby. He looked pretty chubby. He looked heavier than he usually does in in past fights. Didn't have the oomph in his punches. Didn't have the you know didn't have 
nowhere near the speed as he had in past fights. And White's not exactly a fast fighter. Does he look bad? Give credit to Marius Vak. I thought Marius Vak did a really good job and he really brought the fight to Dillian White, but this was not a good fight. Well, they, they kept saying that this was a very good fight and a very exciting fight. It was a nice fight, but action was slow. Punches were being landed, hard punches, but it wasn't anything too solid. I thought that White looked terrible, and believe me, this fight, even though I will give White a pass to a certain extent because he, this is nowhere near his best, and I know this is, I know White can be a lot better because he was nowhere near in shape uh, in this fight. This was just a stay busy fight that he can take advantage uh, while he was suspended by the UKAD, or, or by the WBC, really, while the UKAD was investigating him for the failed drug test. And it was a fight he, he took that no one really could say anything about because it's in Saudi Arabia and the UKAD has no jurisdiction over there in that country. So really, it's what the, it is what it is. But I, I think Dillian White, he's going to try to, you know, push his way towards a world heavyweight title shot against Deontay Wilder or against Tyson Fury, whoever wins that rematch in 2020. But I don't think, I, I think Dillian White loses to both of them. It's really not going to be, it, it's... I, I, you know, white stock has certainly dipped a bit. And even before the the failed drug test, his, his stock has kind of gone down just a little bit. And I'm not really way too, uh, too high on dealing in white right at this moment. Alexander Povetkin against Michael Hunter fight to a split draw. Uh, this was the best, in my opinion, this was the best fight of the night. And I thought this fight was going to be the best fight of the night, or at least of the undercard. Uh, Povetkin and Hunter, the story of this fight really was Hunter kept landing hard shots after hard shots uh, at certain moments, at every few rounds, he would land a good shot and Povetkin would answer right back and take advantage of Hunter who just thought, just you know, try to go for the knockout, try to brawl instead of outboxing the older uh, passes prime Alexa Alexander Povetkin and it was a real scrap you know, I had I had Pavek. I, I had I had a one fifteen, one thirteen, for Michael Hunter, but in, in reality, this fight it ended in a draw. One fifteen, one thirteen, one two each, and one fourteen, one fourteen uh, at the lone card, uh, as the lone uh, card that didn't have a winner. I thought you know a draw was good. A, a draw, you know, I'm not. No one likes a draw, but I thought the draw was maybe the right call because no one really kind of proved themselves to be the definitive winner. And I wouldn't mind if that fight can be made again in 2020. And the winner of that fight could maybe fight Mahmoud Char or Trevor Bryan for the regular or interim WBA titles down the line. So maybe, maybe I wouldn't mind a rematch. You know, those two fight. It wasn't anything special, but it was the good action for our 12 rounds. So I would be I would be down to seeing that fight happen. I'm gonna go back to the chat real quick. When is Keith Thurman's next fight? He's really good. Could have fought Mayweather. I would like to see him with a belt, maybe an opponent like Alexander Besputin. Is it possible since he's in PBC? Uh so so Thurman, I don't know when he's gonna fight next. You know, it's might it might take a while before we see Thurman again. Maybe in, I say maybe spring is when you should expect Keith Thurman to be back, early spring. Uh, as far as Alexander Besputin is concerned, the WBA did order Besputin to fight Jordanis Ugas, who is the mandatory challenger. I don't know when, I, I don't know when the WBA 
consider him to be Uga, uh, consider Uga to be the number one contender for the title, but it is what it is. I think Ugas actually beats Alexander Bespin. I think Ugas is a savvy enough of a fighter. I think his power is underrated, in my opinion. Because you look at the knockout numbers, you think, well, this guy doesn't knock out anybody. But I do think that he hits harder than what the numbers may indicate. And I do think that it's going to be a good fight whenever that fight gets made. I would say expect that fight... Ugas versus Besputin, either in between mid-March and mid-April. I think that's right around the time frame you should expect that fight. Let's see. The last fight before the we got the Ruiz-Joshua main event, Diego Pacheco versus Salamani Saidi knocks him out in the first round. God damn. You know, it was earlier in the week, the zone said, oh, well, this fight's going to end, you know, the... Both fighters, Joshua Ruiz, are going to make their ring looks at 3.45 p.m. Eastern, and then the main event starts at 4 p.m. Eastern. First of all, I didn't believe that for a goddamn second. I did not think it was, they were going to be that strict. If there was an opening, just the slightest bit of a, of a window to extend that card and get some last-minute subscriptions, last-minute people tuning into the fight, they were going to do it. And they did, but credit to Diego Pacheco, who I think is a phenomenal 168-pound pro, uh, prospect. He knocks out Salamani Saidi like 90 seconds into the fight with this just unbelievable right hook. It's un, it's incredible. It really is a good knockout to go out of your way and watch. Pacheco's really good. He's very young. He's like 18 years old, but the dude is, has a ton of potential. He is going to be, he's, he's tall. He's still growing into his body, and he's strong. Guy is phenomenal. He loves getting knockouts early in the fight. I think he's going to be someone that could be a real player at 168 pounds year for years to come. It's going to be interesting to see how he develops, but I do have to say Diego Pacheco is a guy to watch out for in the future. Uh, let's see. Anybody else got anything to say in the live chat? I can't believe... Uh, Francisco Alvarado, I think you mean Rene Alvarado, is champion despite eight losses. No wonder Los Santa Cruz is super champion. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Just because a fighter has eight losses on the resume doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're worthy, they're not worthy of being champion. Look at guys like Tim Former who, like, lost a lot of fight very early on in his career. He eventually became the IBS Super Featherweight champion. It's going to be, you know, fighters. You know, that's a good, that's the thing about boxing. One loss, two, three, four losses, they don't necessarily have to define your career. They don't. Look, look at Manny Pacquiao. How many times has he lost? How many times has he been knocked out? He got this, you know, he got he lost to guys like Jeff Horn. He got knocked out un, in unbelievable fashion by Juan Manuel Marquez. And we still and he's still one of the greatest fighters of this past generation. Losses don't define your career necessarily. Rene Alvarado earned his shot to fight uh, Andrew Cancio a couple of weeks back. He earned that right. And he beat Andrew Cancio. And he deserves to be called the rightful WBA Super Featherweight Champion. Leo Santa Cruz, he may be recognized by the WBA as the true champion. But you go back to the lineage of the titles. Rene Alvarado's title, he's his title should be... The, the one known as the world champion because Rene Alvarado beat Andrew Cancio. 
who beat Alberto Machado, who beat Jair Corrales, you know, who, you know, who at the time was, you know, he, he, it's a case of he beat the man to beat the man to beat the man to beat the man. And I don't know why, you know, I don't know why the WWE is so fixated on not making that title the super champion. He's giving it to the PBC fighter, to Javante Davis, to Leo Santa Cruz. Not fair. Not fair to Rene Alvarado. It wasn't fair to Andrew Castillo. It wasn't fair to Alberto Machado. So, look at my thoughts. One loss doesn't define your career. Not even eight losses necessarily define your career. You know, it's sometimes it's not how you... And I really hate to say this cliche, but it's, it's not about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get back up. Let's see. Uh, who, what else do you guys got in the chat? It's true that Errol Spence isn't clear. As far as I'm concerned, he is not. The WBC has certainly made it seem like he hasn't been cleared. So that's kind of what I'm going by. It might be a while before we see him back. I don't know what his condition is. I don't know the exact specifics. But it is safe to say that he isn't clear for in-ring action. He is not. Um, let's see. Well, one fight that's been quiet as well as Teofimo Lopez versus Roger Comey, who wins. That's a good fight. I really like that fight. I think that fight, you know, because we're all swept up in this Joshua Ruiz thing, and you know, and we just came back from, and we just got from the Deontay Wilder fight, and my, that fight's gonna be flying under the radar. But I like that fight, Teofimo Lopez. I think people are really, I don't know why, people have been really down on Teofimo Lopez after that last fight. And I thought, you know what? Sometimes Styles makes fights, and sometimes you struggle against certain type of fighters. Sometimes you don't. But I think Lopez really is the real deal. I think Richard Comey is a great champion. I think he certainly is a solid guy that can definitely give Lopez a ton of trouble. I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say Teofimo Lopez wins a very, very close one. But I don't feel confident about that pick because Richard Comey really is that good. And I think he's great. I, I think both guys are great. I think both guys... Whoever wins you know, deserves to be recognized as the IBF world champion. They're pretty good. They are top 10, maybe to some top 5 lightweights. And I think that fight is going to be pretty good. I think that fight's going to be the best fight of the night, arguably. You know, and some might say Mick Conlon versus Vladimir Nikitin because of the history those two share. But I think Teofimo Lopez versus Richard Coma is going to be the best fight of that night. And kind of going, you know, kind of closing in on this Fightful Boxing Podcast, I do want to kind of give my final thoughts on Anthony Joshua versus uh, Anthony Ruiz. You know, Anthony Joshua, he has been dealt kind of a bad hand in the last couple of years. Because, you know, over here in the U.S., you got Deontay Wilder, and they think he's the best heavyweight champion out there. And then you got Anthony Joshua, who, in my opinion, uh, was the best heavyweight in the world before he lost to Andy Ruiz back in June. And I do think that a lot of people should, and I think a lot of people weren't giving Joshua a ton of credit, but I do think that Joshua right now has once again earned the right to be considered the best uh, heavyweight in the world right now. Do I think he beats Deontay Wilder or a Tyson Fury? I don't know. Because as one thing that I repeatedly said in this podcast, and even after Joshua lost to Andy Ruiz, the way to beat Andy Ruiz if you're Anthony Joshua, use the length, use the jab, your your arms are 
huge. Your arms are massive and long. That's all you needed to do to beat Andy Ruiz. But you can't do that against Deontay Wilder. You can't be. You can't try to outbox Deontay Wilder. You can, and you and you can succeed at outboxing Deontay Wilder. But the question will always be for any opponent of Deontay Wilder: Can you survive getting hit with that right hand and get back up? Only one man's been able to do that. Tyson Fury, and the best he could do is force a draw. So. I don't know who's, who wins between Wilder and Joshua. You can make a strong enough case for either guy, and you and I wouldn't say you're wrong on either case. It's that it's that polarizing, thing, discussing that fight. I do think that fight is a 50-50, a true 50-50 fight. Just as I think Joshua, I mean Wilder vs. Fury is a true 50-50 fight. You know, Wilder beating Dominic Brazil and Luis Ortiz again. And Fury beating Otto Valin and Tom Schwartz. Those after those two wins, after those two respective wins, my opinion on that rematch has has not wavered, has not changed. It really does depend on what happens when Tyson Fury gets hit with the right hand once again. And I think Fury is good enough of a boxer to outbox and survive to the twelfth round and win on the scorecards. I thought Fury won the first fight, but it's really going to depend on what's going to happen next. And whoever wins out of that, that fight, you better believe the boxing world is going to demand Anthony Joshua uh, to fight either guy for the undisputed heavyweight titles. For the good of the sport, you have to make that fight happen. But the reality is we're dealing with the politics, the back, you know, the behind-the-scenes BS that this sport has been known to have for decades, maybe even centuries. It's not going to happen next year. You know, we may be back to square one to right before Anthony Joshua beat Andy Ruiz, but we are still nowhere near closer to getting Joshua versus Ruiz. Even if Joshua did beat Ruiz the first time around, we would have not been any closer to making to crowning an undisputed heavyweight champion. And that's not gonna happen anytime soon. And for Ruiz, he certainly earned her he earned his way to getting seven-figure paydays for a long, long time for whenever he fights. And hey, if Joshua versus Wilder Fury two-winner doesn't happen, I don't think a single person would complain if Anthony, if Andrew Ruiz gets a crack at either Wilder or Fury. I think that would be a, a good fight. And I do think that Ruiz, if he's able to come back, maybe win a tune-up fight or two against a, a solid opponent, I think that would make a good fight. And I don't think a single person would complain because they know what Andy Ruiz is capable of doing. We saw that all the way back in 2016, I believe 2016? Yeah, 2016. When he traveled all the way to New Zealand and and he beat and he almost beat Joseph Parker to win the WBO title. And he beat Anthony Joshua. And he dared to travel to Saudi Arabia to fight Anthony Joshua again. So I do think Andrew Ruiz has earned himself the opportunity to fight for another heavyweight title down the line. It's not going to happen next, but he certainly has earned his way to getting another title shot. Maybe late 2020, early 21, but who knows. Right before I sign off, kind of want to address any questions you guys have in the live chat. What's next for Loma? Even if he fights Lopez Acome, he has the WBZ champion. Uh, you know, 
if he beats Teofimo Lopez or Roger Kome, I don't recall there being a mandatory for Vasily Lomachenko. Devin Haney was supposed to be the mandatory challenger, but that's no longer the case. But, if you know, the best fight to make for Lomachenko after the Lopez Kome winner is either Devin Haney or Javante Davis. Have to make that fight happen. It's a legacy fight, especially the Javante Davis fight, because those two have been, like, you know, together in terms of potential dream matches in today's era of boxing, and that fight's never happened. And that's going to be tough, because you got conflicting promoters, conflicting, you know, parties that want to, you know, get the fight for themselves. I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know what the future is for Lomachenko besides fighting the winner of Team Fimo Lopez and Richard Comey. Who is likely to get a fight uh, Josh Warrington, uh, for Josh Warrington? Is it Shakur Stevenson, Shu uh, Chan, or Leo Santa Cruz? The smart money is Shu Chan because both fighters have said in post-fight interviews after their recent title defenses that they would like to fight each other. Shakur Stevenson wants to fight Josh Warrington. That's a fight that can be made, but I think Chopper's going to hold off on that for just a little while longer. Let Shakur build himself up a little lo- a little while longer now that he's the WBO featherweight champion. But you put Josh Warrington against Duchan together in the ring? I'm telling you, that man, that, that's going to be magic. Suchan's one of my, probably my favorite featherweight to watch right now. And Josh Warrington is a damn good fighter, arguably the best featherweight in the world right now. So I would love to see that fight happen next. And I do think that fight's going to happen next. They both have said they would like to fight each other and they name dropped each other. Josh Warrington really didn't have any incentive to name drop Suchan after his most recent title defense, but he did. So that kind of gives me an idea, that kind of gives off the impression maybe the, maybe there isn't anything in the works. But there's maybe some dialogue between both parties thinking we can make that fight happen. I'd be down for that. Uh, I'd be down for that. You know, I think that'd be one of the best fights of the year if you can make that fight happen. Lastly, any chance of a co-promoted card with Golden Boy and Mayweather promotions? No. I mean, well, never say never, especially in this sport, but that's highly unlikely. First of all, you have to deal... It's There's two big elephants in the room. Uh, to start things off. First, you you have Oscar Delaware and Floyd Mayweather on each side. Just getting them in the same room is almost impossible, let alone organize a big boxing event. Then you have the, you know, the television issue because Mayweather Promotions typically has events on Showtime and then you have uh, Golden Boy Promotions cards on The Zone. Now, I say it's more likely for the Golden Boy side to have to come over to the Mayweather Promotions side on the network uh, thing because uh, Golden Boy Promotions, aside from May, uh, guys like Ray Vargas and Canelo Alvarez and a couple of other, and, and Ryan Garcia and Virgil, Ortiz, um, you know, a lot of aside from their top top prospects or champions, they're more than willing to play ball as far as letting. A, a fighter or two fight on other networks. They're, they're more than capable of doing that, uh, of allowing uh, another fi- another promotional company to sort of handle the television duties. But it, but I just don't think it's gonna happen. 
I mean, you, Oscar and Floyd Mayweather don't like each other. They don't. They legitimately don't. They have a lot of bad blood between each other, not just as fighters, but as promoters. So I just don't see that happening. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Thank you so much for everyone who has tuned in. Really enjoyed talking to you guys about this fight, Anthony Joshua versus Andrew Ruiz too. I thought that was a tremendous, you know, tremendous uh, performance from Anthony Joshua becoming the new WBA, WBO, IBF champion. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news on pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. If you're listening on iTunes, leave us a review. Leave us a, a rating. We really do appreciate that. Head over to Fightful Select, our Patreon. We have re- released tons of exclusive content, especially on the pro wrestling fo- uh, side. If you're into that, podcasts every single day, whether it's on Fightful Select or on Fightful.com. We have tons of content from pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. I believe Sean Ross Sapp is going to be doing something with the Tito Ortiz-Alberto Del Rio fight. So that's going to be very, very interesting to watch out for. But until then, this has been Carl Astoro from Fightful.com signing out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.